Hi everybody, welcome to this week's episode of The Book Chain Project. I'm K.L. Kettle and this week Jamie Russell, author of Skywake Invasion, is going to be talking to Michael Mann whose debut Ghost Cloud came out this year. Uh, they're both fantastic adventure books that really grab your attention and don't let go. And hopefully they'll be all parts of the series so keep an ear out for that. It's a great interview and I hope you enjoy it. Don't forget if you want to be part of series two, the link is down below. For those of you listening and watching, it's www.klkettle.com. Follow the links to the Book Chain Project. I will see you on the other side. Bye. Hi everyone, my name is Jamie Russell and I'm here tonight on episode 21 of the Book Chain. Um, it's lovely to see you all here. Um, I am talking tonight to Michael Mann, who is the author of Ghost Cloud, which is a fantastic middle grade fantasy adventure set in a London that's completely different from the London that you know. It's more of a steampunk London um, and it is full of magic and mystery and adventure. Now I'm hoping in a second Michael Mann will jump on and join us. But before he does, or while he does, I'm just going to um, do a little bit of housekeeping. First thing I'm going to say is I'm going to try not to do any spoilers tonight, but it's always it's not always quite possible to, to avoid them, but we'll do our best. And the other thing is just to say, because this is a live Instagram video, it's later going to be turned into a podcast. We're not going to pay much attention to the chat, I'm afraid, just because nobody will be able to see it a little bit later on. So I think I've got Michael just about to call me. Let's see if this works, fingers crossed. Is he coming? Uh, hello. Hello. Hi, Michael. Great to see you. Yeah, good to see you too. How are you doing tonight? Yeah, good. Yeah. Yeah, I have my water and my wine ready. I'm, 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 I'm doing well. <laughs> You're doing better than me. All I have, sadly, is just the water and no wine. Oh. <laughs> I didn't think that far ahead. You were very... Ricky error, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Well, listen, um, it's lovely to see you, and it's been wonderful this week reading Ghost Cloud. I really, really, really enjoyed it. And as I said to you on Twitter, I read it on the way going down to um, London, and it was the best on the train. And I hadn't been down to London since before the pandemic began, so it was really a wonderful way to read it as we were pulling into London, and my mind was just full of a completely alternate vision of the city Excellent. that you kind, of, you kind of put in the novel. I thought it was absolutely great. Um, and I also said to you on Twitter that I, I thought it was fascinating because it started off for me. I was like, oh, this is, this is reminding me of Bearmouth by Liz Hyder. And I was like, maybe this is going to be a middle grade Love um, version. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, kids working under Battersea Power Station, shoveling dirt and everything, um, uh, shoveling the coal. I thought this was going to be great. And then it totally blew my mind because you just went off in completely unexpected direction. <laughs> and that actually was my experience for the whole of the novels. Every time I was like, oh, I think I know what's happening now. You just went off. It was just like this amazingly inventive and creative um, storytelling that just had me. I was just like, I don't know what's going to happen next. And it was wonderful. You know, it's a real kind of page turner. It was absolutely fantastic. So listen, I'll stop talking. Give us, um, let's start with you. Why don't you give us your sales pitch in the novel? Tell us how, how you describe it, what it's about. Um, yeah, go for it. Sure. Uh, I mean, I've, I've, I've been practicing a little bit. But um, yeah, so Ghost Cloud is a, it's like a magical adventure um, set in an alternative London, like you said. Um, and it's about a boy called Luke, who is 12 years old, and he shovels coal in this power station uh, deep underground. Uh, and it's like a horrible place. And he dreams of getting home to his family. And then when the book starts, Luke is on the verge of earning that freedom, earning his way home. And then obviously, 
as is the way something goes wrong. I won't tell you what. Uh, and uh, Luke then is sent as punishment to this haunted East Wing, um, this haunted part of the plan. And that's when things change. He meets a ghost, a ghost called Alma, and she tells him there's a way out of the plant. Um, and she kind of draws him into this whirlwind adventure um, with ghosts, with the smog and uh, the skies over London. There's lots of flying. It's all very exciting. Um, and in the process, Luke, I guess he realizes that um, things in the power station are not as they seem, as you pointed out, that Tabitha, the owner of the station, has a, like a, a very terrible plan for everyone. Um, and that if he's going to stop it, save himself and his friends and the city, he will have to you know, speak up and, and fight back. Um, and and that, is, that is the story. That's fantastic. It's, um, I, like I said, it had me absolutely gripped. And what I loved, I mean, you, you alluded to it there about it being an alternate vision of London. And it really is. It feels, it takes something that we all kind of know and are really familiar with. And all these landmarks, you know, the Battersea Power Station, River Thames itself seems transformed. And there's even a mention of the Battersea Dogs Home, which I, really made me yeah. smile, yeah. <laughs> which I really love. Um, where did that where did that kind of desire to kind of reconfigure London in that way come from? Are you a Londoner yourself? Is that is it kind of based on your own? I am. Yeah, I'm like half a Londoner. I was Yorkshire for half my life and London for half. But um, I um, I was reading this book called The Wolves of Willoughby Chase. It's like a classic by Joan Aiken, and I was rereading it. And she has this idea that uh, wolves came in through the Channel Tunnel one winter when it was really cold and then overtook London. And so she has this kind of Victorian London that is just this little bit different because there are wolves everywhere. And I thought it was just the best idea. I was like, oh, wouldn't it be nice to just change one thing and see how that changed everything else? And so in mine, the Channel Tunnel is closed. Uh, and I was trying to think how that might have happened as a the kind of war with Europe. Um, and, then I, and then I got a bit carried away and I changed lots of things. Uh, but that was, that was where it started. This idea is quite freeing to be able to change things you know um, and, and, uh, and kind of make them a bit dark or a bit more strange. And I also, I love books like um, Neverwhere by Neil Gaiman, where he has uh, Blackfriars is a, is a bunch of black monks there and Angel of Islington is, is an angel. So, you know, those kind of books have always been um, ones I've loved. And so I suppose I took it from there. And then it was fun. You know, I went and just smashed up the Olympic Stadium and, you know, uh, made the Houses of Parliaments have also, you know, I just changed London, the bits that I liked and the bits I didn't like. I made South London a desert wasteland because I am fed up, fed up of seeing my friends in Surbiton and I just wanted to put everyone out of that terrible commute. So, so did things like that, which were fun and just, just went for it. That's, that's really lovely. I really like that. And I love what you talk about in terms of world building. I mean, I found this writing Skyway, which, you know, starts with a, a fairly ordinary situation and then kind of takes it in a different direction. But if you're doing that world building, sometimes it feels, feels as though it's much easier if you're starting with something that's familiar to begin with and then kind of changing everything. It kind of gives the reader a bit of a handhold to kind of do all that kind of stuff. I loved your, I love Skywick. I just finished yours. Um, and I, I, yeah, I, I loved bits like when they're in that Starbucks and, you know, they're having this, I don't want to, you know, having this fight with something that's definitely not normally in Starbucks and there are like beans and steam flying everywhere and you can totally imagine it. And at the same, I think that, yeah, you're right. That reality enables you to then take that step and imagine something very different. Yeah, yeah, no, I think so, definitely. And certainly, but as a as a lazy writer, I'm like it always it always helps rather than having to make something that's completely I'm, completely utterly new. I've just <laughs> seen one of my Surbiton friends um, just chip in there, so I'm apologies to any Surbiton friends. Yes, I will I will feature Surbiton in my sequel. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> 
Good stuff. Well, um, tell me a little bit about the characters, because I really loved, I thought Luke Sharma-Smith was, was a fantastic lead. And it's really, you know, the heart of the story is about, I guess, kind of finding courage, isn't it? You know, it's really about kind of stepping in, stepping up and finding yourself in a terribly dangerous situation and kind of finding the courage to, to do something about it. And he really grows in a fascinating way. And you mentioned Alma, the ghost girl, who's, who, who I really loved. I mean, she has a kind of slightly nosy, inquisitive kind of side to her and also serves as a wonderful guide for Luke in terms of bringing him into the, the strange world and you know the world of ghosts and, and, and everything else. So, I mean, did those characters come to you kind of fully formed? Did you, were you, were you already, was it the setting first, the characters, or did the characters kind of slowly evolve out of everything else you were thinking of? No, it's a good question. The, um, I did write a very bad draft of Ghost Cloud before, which was very different. And in that, Alma was there, but she was much more cloudy than she was ghosty. And someone told me, you know, she, she's a bit, uh, it's not working. And, um, and so for people who haven't read the book, and most of you haven't because it's new, uh, but the big one of the big ideas is that when you see a shape in the clouds, whether it's, you know, a snake or a horse or whatever, that that's actually a, a ghost kind of watching you back probably. And in this book, Alma is one of these ghosts who rides these clouds and fires lightning and things like that. And she takes Luke up to this world and, um, you know, there's this whole world above our heads and it's very exciting for him. Uh, and I suppose Alma at first was, was kind of a bit, I couldn't get her to work. She was a bit more kind of mystical. And at some point I clicked that she had to just be a, a girl like Luke, another kid. And, um, and once I'd cracked that and I had Luke and her arguing because she tries to boss Luke around quite a lot, uh, she kind of came pretty fully formed in this one scene where they're in the, in the pipes talking. And, uh, and she's really fun to write because she's sort of sassy and, you know, says it how it is and has, can do all sorts of amazing things. Uh, Luke, Luke is more of a, um, Luke, Luke was probably the same throughout, but he did grow. Like he's a bit of a warrior. He's a bit of a hard worker. Um, he's, a, he's a bit like me at times. Uh, and but then he does, unlike me, probably get very brave and do very dangerous things towards the end, which I would love to do. Uh, he um, interestingly, he's in the book. He's half Indian like me as well. But when I first wrote him, he was half Chinese uh, because I don't know why. I think I think I like the name Luke Lee more than Luke Smith Sharma. And and I think I probably didn't want to write about myself. It felt a bit sort of sort of egotistical. But actually, I had some very good friends who sort of told me. No, no, you should write from what you know. Uh, you'll, it'll be deep. It'll be more like authentic that way. And I think that they were very, they were right. So he changed. He became half Indian. He changed from half Chinese to half Indian. But, yeah. um, oh, it's always so interesting how much things change as you're writing. And quite often, I find like the characters themselves tell you who they want to be. You know, you get to a certain point in the drafting process, and you're like, okay, this character is now talking to me, and they're actually telling me, you know, what they want to be doing, who they want to be, where they're going. You know, I always find that's that's. A really fascinating part of the process. Definitely. I must yeah. say, what well, you know, talking about you talking about writing from yourself and characters who are something yourself. I don't know if, if your villainess has anything of you in her, but she was an amazing villainess. She really was. I'm not going to spoil anything too much, but um, she the the scene where she's using her fingernails to like unscrew things. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that and the pipe that she's you know the kind of pipe smoking is. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, she's fun. Tabitha is like my favorite character to write. And in fact, the, um, uh, in the first version, the bad version, she kind of fl flitters in and, and then only appears at the end. And someone said to me, oh God, let's just have more of her and let's start, you know, let's have more time in Battersea. And it's like, all right, fine. So I just started the book with her in it and Battersea and she's there the whole way through and, and does horrible. She just gets worse and worse as the novel goes on. And that's, it's always fun. To, I mean, there's nothing, 
it's she does things that maybe I would like to do if I was a baddie, but I obviously wouldn't do any of those things. <laughs> she, I mean, she really reminded me of something out of like Old Darn or something. There was a real, it was a real kind of witch's vibe. And then I was thinking, oh, the child catcher from um, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. And then of course I realized yeah. it was also Roald Dahl, wasn't it? I think he was credited. Oh, yeah. He's my hero. Roald Dahl is my, my yeah, absolute hero. And the witches, I just love the witches so much. So the Grand High Witch must have been a, an influence. You know, the scenes where she stood at the front sort of, you know, saying things that very much Roald Dahl all the way, yeah. Yeah, and the, the drops that she's um, giving the kid and everything. I was, I was like, yeah, it was, it was really, she, she's fantastic. I mean, she really deserves a little um, uh, a plaque in the pantheon of like evil villains and children's literature. She's, really, she's, really she's, back. she's back in book two. Fear not. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, um, let me ask you a little bit more about Luke, because you mentioned about starting off with him being um, British Chinese, and then you yourself are um, of British Indian heritage. And so I guess um, there's, there's a lovely line actually in the story, I've just written it. Um, Luke wished he could be one thing properly, because he wouldn't have to explain himself half so much. And he's kind of complaining about the idea of kind of being half um, uh, half um, Indian and British. I was about to give a spoiler away, away about being half. I just caught myself there. Um, um, yeah, so I was like, is that kind of, did a lot of that draw from your own experience um, into the character? Is that something you, you really worked on? Yeah, um, this, it, it, as I said, I had him half Chinese and this friend on a course I was at, this Curtis Brown course said, well, I'm half Chinese. <laughs> Have you thought about making him half Indian like you? And she shared, she said, the thing I found about being half Chinese is that my hair is really straight, so straight, it's sometimes annoying. And, you know, is there not anything like that for you? And, and the thing immediately that came to me was that as someone who's half Indian and quite pale, I, I often am having to like, people are like, are you, are you sure you're half Indian? You know, or, or something like that, especially in winter. And, I, and that sense that, and I, I immediately thought, that Luke, if he was half Indian and in the power plant underground, he would have that same problem where he was sort of felt like he wasn't properly, he'd almost had that side of his identity taken away because he'd not seen the sun, he'd be very pale. And I think that that was really interesting for me to explore. And he does have this sense of, yeah, he's half Indian, he's half a detective and he's half something else, which we can't say. And he wishes he'd be something properly. And then obviously towards the end, that's part of the thing is that, you know, at the end, can he kind of reclaim that? side of his personality his identity and explore that so yeah that did come from me um and and part of the story is about lots of characters who feel like they don't quite fit the category or fall in between characters fall between categories which i think we can all relate to in some ways and by the end of the book a lot of them have kind of accepted that that it's okay to be a bit of both um uh, yeah, yeah, no, that it really it works brilliantly. It's really, it's really very powerful. It's nicely understated as well. It kind of um, its way through the whole novel, and it just, it just kind of hits at the right moment um, in a really lovely way. I really like that a lot. So, um, tell us a little bit about, about your journey to publication. So, this is your debut novel. Um, how did you, you know, how did you start? Um, where were you planning? You mentioned Curtis Brown, um, the course of Curtis Brown. So, just talk us a little bit about through the um, the process for you. Yeah, um, I, you know, I think when I was little, I, I saw my bio because the, the publishers like it, but I wrote a poem about potatoes. That was my first writing success and I won £10 and I got to shake hands with a big potato. So that was my first taste of writing and it put me off probably because it was so embarrassing. Uh, but I did, I think I always, from when I was younger, I loved Roald Dahl and I loved writing and that was kind of something I was interested in, but I never thought it was a real job. And 
I've had a few jobs, you know, I kind of worked in a charity abroad and here and I worked in consulting for a bit and then I've become a teacher. And I suppose I, I'd written off the writing idea and then I started doing some courses and just bit by bit I started enjoying it again. Um, and, um, and, you know, one thing led to another and I found myself writing this story. Um, and, um, and essentially I'd, I'd written um, a bad draft of Ghost Cloud and it wasn't, I knew it wasn't working. And I met some lady at Scooby, you know, which is a kind of a society of children's books and illustrators. And she told me that she'd written four novels and uh, only on her fourth one was she published. Uh, and it was, it was really helpful for me. It just, it just took the pressure off. And she said, you just got to write to enjoy it. And for me, that was the kind of key thing, write, enjoy it it may never get published and then just keep going. And if it gets published, it's a bonus. And so that's, that was the thing for me. And the actual publishing journey, essentially I'd written this bad draft. Um, I was very lucky that I had this baby that uh, when I had parental leave and she slept through the night from, I got the second half and I don't want to say that was anything to do with me because I don't want anyone who's got a baby who doesn't sleep. We were very lucky. And essentially in that parental leave, I then, we did this Curtis Brown course, which was remote, and the novel really came on a lot there. I wrote like in her naps and in the night. Um, and then um, eventually over lockdown, I got an agent and, and a publishing deal with Hachette. It all happened quite quick. Um, I'm not, that's a very like slightly disorganized answer, but you know, it, it took a long time. I was writing from start to finish, probably four years on and off, because teaching, I never had any time. I would write in the half terms and the holidays. Um, and I actually was really also helpful, a couple of competitions. Just before I got my agent, I got, a, I was a, I was a runner up in, I was like a long listed for the Bath one, the Scooby Undiscovered Voices and the London Writers Award. I was a, a kind of winner or a shortlisted and they were really helpful for me and letting me know it was ready to send off to agents. And then I signed with Curtis Brown for an agent with Steph Thwaites and Hachette as my publisher. Wow. Well, I mean, that I can imagine just how, what a confidence boost that was to have kind of, you know, um, the competitions experience and yeah. you know, it's, it's just wonderful because you know that people are reading it and you're like you get a sense of like yeah as you said you know oh now it's ready to kind of go out there because I think so often and I've done this you can send work out before it's ready just in our excitement or maybe even just our exhaustion but obviously you just like I just let someone else read it now and it can quite yeah. often be yeah timing it wrong can be a, a difficult thing. Um, I think, right, yeah, people told me at times to wait, and I'm really glad I did. Uh, I also actually write Mentor, Faber, and someone else. There's lots of uh, Liars League. There are other competitions I just sent to quite a few, and lots of them I heard nothing about, but those three were really helpful to feedback. I have someone saying, is there any p poker games featured in this, uh, in my novel? No, not, not yet, but I will try. <laughs> I will try and uh, add them in the sequel. Um, but, yeah. Good stuff. Um, you mentioned about being a, a new dad. So... You know, in terms of writing, is, did it did it change things for you? Do you think um, suddenly, you know, finding yourself role of a father? Did it practice? I mean, practically, clearly, it made a difference in terms of you know give, giving you a bit of time to be able to write um, during that time. But yes, I mean, uh, I'd love to know your. I'd love to know what your take on it. I mean, my take on it: the parental leave was really wonderful because I it was super intense. But I did have these windows um, when she slept at night in the day to write. But aside from that, and I love my daughter a lot, it's, <laughs> it's very hard, like juggling parenting with anything, I'm sure, as most people can do. So I think what it probably does 
is that whole like if you're a busy person it you know well, i can't remember the phrase but essentially you really value your time don't you because you have these like windows and so i think what how it probably has helped is i really you know have to think i've got this time off today am i going to write or am i going to go see my friends um hangovers just aren't worth it when you've got a child so i probably cut back on my drinking and had more time for writing and also the good thing as well i think is a baby children and babies are a really good distraction so you know you can't just worry about your book too much you do it you this is how i do it i type it like this and then you and then you go off and you have to play with some child pretending to be a monster or whatever it is and you don't think about your book which i think is healthy because i think you you can spend too long on the book as well what, what how about you jamie you've got kids I, I saw your lovely daughter i think uh is it is it does she inspire you does she <laughs> impact um, no. Yeah, I mean they're older. They're older than, than your daughter, so you know. It's. I think I should ask you the question. I'm probably like maybe ten years too early in asking you the question because you know <laughs> I mean, the thing about you know play and stuff. I think is just so in, invaluable, really, as a writer. You know, for children go, going through all of that yourself, but also just the the sudden immersion in children's literature that comes from like mm -hmm. being a parent that just kind of continues, and you, you find yourself going up through the grades. You know, from the picture books whatever all the way up to you know suddenly before you know it it's like oh YA fiction now okay that's, uh, I mean, it is a it is a fantastic way of like you know really immersing yourself in the field and, and reading so much and also just seeing what works you know I mean it might may only be for your own kids but it's, it's fascinating to get kids view on you're like oh well I really like this book and they might be like oh, no, not at all and, yeah um, and there's some disappointments there as well in terms of heartbreak when you read stories that you loved as a child to your children and they're just like please stop don't read me anymore <laughs> um, so. i totally know what you mean like I, I had that though from a teaching point of view like because i was teaching uh, teaching nine-year-olds and ten-year-olds and and i would be like i love tom's midnight garden you know like it's a beautiful beautiful book and then i would read it to the kids in the class and they couldn't they couldn't follow it for some reason maybe i was reading it badly but you know they, they, or they didn't like it as much as i did and then there, there were certain books like varjak poor or ones that had real page turny kind of vibe to them where the kids really loved it and wanted to hear more every time I read. So I totally, uh, I'm looking forward to when my toddler is able to read um, older kids' books. So, but I do like picture books. Uh, the picture book's pretty good, actually. It's that bit after the picture books that I'm not sure about, those chapter books. I'm not convinced that they look good. Yeah, yeah there's, there's, there are some weird moments where you realise there's kind of little gaps in the, the kind of connective tissue of the market where you're like, oh, actually, yeah. And it also depends on kind of what kind of a reader your child is as well. And just finding those the right books that kind of fit those moments can sometimes be can sometimes be really tricky. And um, you mentioned Tom's Midnight Garden. I remember my youngest actually just being like, oh, we're reading this, this book at school. And I really, I really hate it. And I'm like, what is it? Just, oh, no. I know. Not to give book, but oh, well, they don't like it anymore. <laughs> So, I mean, being a teacher, I mean, similar to the, the um, being a dad question, actually, you know, I mean, do you find that being a teacher kind of keeps you source of material to kind of work with? And there was something lovely in the book about um, one character, some of the secondary characters, Ravi and Jess, and Ravi doesn't really like Jess, and he says, oh, you know, she's a bit like broccoli, it's like, it's fine to eat on one day, but you don't want to have it every day. And I was like, it's like a great line. I was like, it sounded, it just sounded so kind of like the thing I've, I've heard kids say myself. And I just wondered, you know, as a teacher, do you find that you've got a kind of um, reservoir of stuff that you can tap into as a children's author? Yeah, you know, it's interesting you mentioned the broccoli line because that is one that came directly from a kid I taught. She wrote this, she wrote this whole story about broccoli and how 
horrible it was and how it was kind of a dystopian future with broccoli. And I loved it so much, I put it on my bookshelf. We had like a bookshelf in class, which was for our stories, along with the real, the real novels. And then I was like, ah, oh, Juno, I need to find a way of squeezing a broccoli joke into my, into my book. And so that is credit to Juno. Uh, she, she's, she's a brilliant writer. So yeah, so sometimes they would give you ideas and there are some kids who you hear that how they speak and you're like, oh, I, I just love that. And you channel it. Um, and then the other thing I think is seeing what they read and finish. For me, it's so important that kids finish the book and almost the most important thing. Uh, so I really wanted to make, I really made Ghost Cloud very pacey and page turn, a bit of a page turner because that was really important as a teacher for me. And then finally, like reading aloud at the end of the day for kids, you really get a sense of like, the, they like sound. They like the sound of words and the rhythm of it. And so for me, I like quite wanted a book that read aloud nice, um, nicely. So, so yeah, I think being a teacher really, really helped. Mm -hmm. uh, that's brilliant. No, I, I, it's, um, I'm always really envious actually of people who teach kids just from a writer's point of view, because I know from with my own kids, pick up so many like slang expressions or just, just simple, you know, just basic expressions that they come up with. That, and I would never have thought to describe something like that, but it's great. So they invariably seem to join something down. Uh, you have no problem, Jamie. I just read your book. Like my kids would absolutely love your book. So I'm, I'm, I'm really excited. All they talk about is like uh, Among Us and Fortnite. So, you know, they, you, 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 you don't need to be a teacher, it turns out. <laughs> your, your book will be, they will love it. Just need to be well versed in video games. <laughs> That's great. Well, listen, talk to me a little bit about writing process. Because I saw an interview you said that you use Excel as part of your writing process. And I was just like, that was a tool that was new to me. Um, and I'm really interested in how that works. You know, I'm, I've gone through Word and Scrivener and everything else. But I was like, Excel, this is a new one. Tell me, tell me a bit about it. And maybe let me know if you're a pencil or a plotter. That's my other, um, my other question that's kind of part of the same thing. Yes, I think I use Excel to like mask my huge disorganization. Uh, <laughs> sort of, I'm definitely a pantser, like flying by the seat of my pants. Uh, although I read an interview with, is it Game of Thrones? Uh, I've forgotten his name now. Anyway, uh, he said that you're not pantsers, he's a gardener. He like plants seeds, you know, and then he sees which ones grow. So that's what I'm going to go for. I'm a gardener. Um, and uh, I use Excel to, I like make a list of the chapters and then as I go, I write down how many words are in them so I can easily total how many words I've got in total and it makes me feel satisfied. And I sometimes color code chapters depending on how rubbish they are or good they are. So I've got a few green chapters, a few red chapters, um, and I use it to like list all the things I need to fix. Um, I probably could do it in Word or on a piece of paper or in Scrivener, but somehow it makes me feel more organized to do it in Excel. Um, and I don't know how to use Scrivener. I've used Excel a lot for, for like in jobs. So it is uh, it's probably a, a more a kind of trying to convince myself I'm organized than an actual tool I would recommend. You sound as though you might be a bit of a word count freak like I am. I mean, I'm really, I really want to know how long each chapter is and also, you know, how far it is to the midpoint and everything. I, I, I think for me, it seems really important that, you know, you don't have, if you want to get that page turning thing, it really does come down to number of words is actually really important. And if you have a really long chapter, then you kind of sometimes need to go. I, for me, I always find if it's too long, the chapter is too much longer than everything else probably means there's something in there that shouldn't be in there. And that's been, that's been a real eye-opener to me. Do you have the same thing with work count? Are you very kind of obsessive over it? Or? 
No, yeah, I feel, and I could feel it in your book because it was so, it was so pacey and like the action and and uh, yeah, it, it worked so well in your book. And you where you you cut in the kind of flashback scenes and the and the action scenes. I, I think that is also a really good thing you can see when you've got a word count. Like, how many words am I doing for this and that? So yeah, for me, um, I do look at the word count when you're drafting. I think it's really nice to help me feel like I'm making progress. You know, how I know I would need to target 50, 60,000 words at the end. So am I on my way? Am I going forward? And it stops me endlessly editing my early chapters. So like, I have to keep the total go up. And then I think, like you said, if the chapter's too long, you can see and you go back. I think the only thing I would say is now that I have hit my word count and I need it to shrink, it's a bit depressing. I'm like, oh no, I have to cut all these words and how am I going to get it back down to 60? So I'm not looking at the word count very much at the moment. I'm just kind of like, you know, just, just <laughs> looking at the words. Yeah. You know? it's, it's always much easier to cut than it is to add. I think that's the worst one where you're like, oh no, I still need another 20,000 words and the story's done. You know, it's like, oh, I've never had that problem. <laughs> Good. So tell me, what's your what's your writing kryptonite? If you were to choose something that was, Emma asked me this last week, and I was like, this, um, yeah, uh, uh, can I have like lots of kryptonites? <laughs> yeah, um, like I can't. Uh, if the TV is on in the background, I just can't think. I can't even have a conversation with people. My partner just like just says, "Do you want me to turn it off?" And then he turns it off, and I can talk to you. So I can't write if there's TV or radio or even like music that has words in it. Uh, Increasingly, Twitter <laughs> is uh, a problem for me because instead of thinking about my plot, I am trying to think of whether what I just tweeted was ridiculous and people are going to be, you know, telling me that I'm really embarrassing. And then the other thing, um, like, I mean, it might be too few. I don't play like, um, I used to play Goldeneye and some of the games that, you know, like I used to love that when I was younger. But I recently started kind of, and it's a bit geeky. Well, I don't, I'm not apologising. Uh, diplomacy, like online board game. Yeah, an online board game of diplomacy, which is a bit like Risk. And it was like a delayed turn-taking thing. And I would put in a move and my brother would then put in a move. And I found that all the space that I should have been thinking about my novel was spent thinking about whether I should invest in invade Paris or, you know, should do the back around Spain and attack him there. And, um, and in the end, I just had to withdraw and let you know, his troops take over Europe because I wasn't getting any writing done. So there are my three, three kryptonites. Um, what was yours, just out of interest? Um, mine was Twitter, actually. Although now that you've mm. mentioned it, I did have a similar experience a couple of years ago with a turn-based game on my phone, playing with um, a friend um, who wasn't nearby, you know, remotely. And it just came, yeah, it took over my life. It was just, oh. Oh, we've moved. oh, I've got to move my troops now, you know, whatever, oh, it's terrible. So I did have to just delete it off the phone completely because I was like, it's either, either I get paid to play this as a living or, yeah, yeah, yeah it doesn't work. No, <laughs> we've got a similar crypt tonight. We need, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, good. Um, so tell me, talking about advice for writers, this is always a nice question. If you were to give your younger self some writing advice, what would it be? Although maybe actually maybe it would just be about you know not to write about potatoes. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yes, don't write poems about potatoes because you will hand very specific. You have to shake hands with a giant potato and it will traumatise you. That's one advice. Um, yeah, it's interesting because I suppose it's 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 worked out in the end with the writing. But I I think one of the things I worried then was and for a lot whether what you were writing was original, whether what you were writing was good you know whether if you showed it to your your friend or your mum they would like it uh, and i think what you realize is that actually people don't 
no one likes this. everyone likes different books don't they you know you you could show your thing you've written to 10 people uh and if nine of them disliked it and one of them liked it that's not a bad hit rate so i i, I think i would say write for yourself little michael just enjoy it and uh, <laughs> sort of a hand on the shoulder just enjoy it stop stressing write and try and finish something instead of keeping starting things and then like leaving them because they're not literary enough you know and i think i think at some point when i realized i like writing kids stuff and they were the books i felt i could write that was a bit of a relief as well i could just enjoy it and i like plot you know i, I you know um so just chill out and write and write and enjoy it would be the would be the overall message for, for me what about yours any any tips what's your wisdom I, well, I actually was just about to agree with you what you said about um, finishing what you start, because I think, I think yeah. that's a real killer for a lot of people is that they, they don't actually finish it. And I always say to um, kids when I do school visits, I'm just like, yeah, it's great. You know, if you start writing, you've got to finish it because it's only when you finish it, you can show it to someone. You know, because if you yeah. can't give someone half a story and go, oh, well, I kind of ran out of steam and I never finished it. I'm like, it doesn't matter if it's bad, just finish it. And, you know, really, once you've finished it, then you can make it better. But halfway through, it feels like a... Um, still like a, a slog. I mean, that's why whenever I finish a draft, no matter how long or short I've spent on it, I'm always just like, it's time for a celebration because, you know, it's, <laughs> it's a milestone. Oh, this is, that's the really good advice I got as well. Yeah, a really good piece of advice is celebrate early and often as well. So celebrate early, you finish your draft, celebrate, don't wait for that you know, the perfect draft or the publishing deal or whatever it is, I, you know, I'll celebrate after this Instagram call because it's my first Instagram live and I, I will need another glass of wine. So yes. No, that's, that's very good. That's very good. Well, listen, we're almost out of time, but before we, before we wrap up, I must ask you about what's next for you. Um, I think you mentioned a sequel to Ghost Cloud uh, and Tabitha returning. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, a sequel is coming next October. So a year from now, I am busy writing it. I have done a first draft, so I think we're okay, but I, I'm just like plowing through those edits, trying to get them all done before the launch of this one. Um, and then I've got another book, uh, not a book, an a story in an anthology coming out uh, for five to seven year olds. So that's a bit younger. And that was quite interesting for me to write for that younger age group. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't know if they've announced it yet, but it's with a good pub. It's a good publisher, and I'm quite excited about it too. Um, and then I need to think of another book because once you finish this one, you need to think of another one. So any ideas for books? Someone here has suggested I write one about poker. Uh, so I will. I will have a think. What my next child children's novel is that is you know appropriate, and I need to. I'll probably start looking at that later in the year. Well, I have to say, I really like the idea that you trailed about the dystopian future with broccoli. I'm just like, that sounds like a <laughs> You should do a deal with that student of yours and say, look, you know, I'll right. at you, yeah. We'll dystopian broccoli future. I think you're right. It's got, it's got a ring to it. Deal. Sounds really good. So um, next week, it's going to be you interviewing, isn't it? Do you want to tell us um, yeah. who you're interviewing? Just give us a little trail for it, maybe. Yes, um, I'm interviewing Candy Gourlay, who is um, uh, an amazing writer who's written lots of books and has been nominated for um, the, um, the, the big, the Carnegie uh, before. And this is her book called, I think it's called Ferdinand. It's about um, Magellan, basically, who is the great explorer. Uh, and it's, it's a great, uh, it's like a kind of history and yet just really witty and funny. funny. And so, I'm, yeah, I'm going to interview her and hear how she, how she wrote such a great, uh, lovely, fun, historical book. 
Fantastic. Well, I'll definitely be looking forward to that. I'm going to tune in. Well, listen, Michael, it's been wonderful talking to you this evening. Really appreciate you coming on. I absolutely loved Close, Close Cloud. I thought it was great fun. Um, oh, thank you. It kept me, you know, I didn't know what was going to happen next. It was a fantastic reading experience. It really was. So um, with that, I'm going to wrap us up and say goodnight to everyone. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. And um, see you next week. See you next week. Bye. As a writer, what would you choose as your mascot stroke avatar stroke spirit animal? Oh, I love monkeys. So I would have, you know, a Mrs. Coulter kind of monkey, but a nice one, not an evil one to like, you know, sit with me and share bananas and things like that. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I always think, yeah, um, I, I wondered about that for mine because um Emma was saying, um, what did Emma have? I think she had something like a, a sloth or something. And she said, oh, what would mine be? And I was like, well, I, th I said, mine would be a snail because that's how I feel most of the time when I'm writing, you know, going really <laughs> slowly and leaving a kind of trail of destruction behind me in terms of what I'm producing. But I do like the idea of monkeys. I like the idea that if you had enough of them, you could just put them at the keyboards and, you know, one of them might, between yeah. them. They... A, monkey, a monkey cloud, you know, like a, like a kind of ghost cloud, a kind of, you know, spirit animal as well. Oh yeah, that's really good. Maybe that's that can be in the sequel. Maybe Monkey Cloud. I like that. True, true. We'll try. <laughs> Cut the word. That's good. So, uh, next question: If you could only eat one meal and drink one drink for the rest of your life, what would they be? Um, I would be eating um, mangoes. I just love mangoes. Really good mangoes. Possibly moussaka because I just love moussaka too. So mangoes with moussaka on the side. And then I would be drinking Pisco Sours, I think. Very tropical. <laughs> just because they're delicious. They're like the, they're just, yeah. I wouldn't obviously be able to drink too many. I would get dehydrated, but that's what I would go for. That sounds like a very good series of choices. Uh, I'm, I'm not even convinced that you have to think too long about what those ones would be. <laughs> no, no, no. I just knew. I knew really. And I just, uh, just felt a bit embarrassed about the Pisco Sour and the mango somehow. <laughs> it's all good. Um, so really important one this one are you marvel or dc i'm actually dc and it's because i grew up on the uh death of superman comics and the uh the breaking of the batman i had some friend who used to who bought me those and they like rocked my world and so although the dc output since has not been as good and i do love many a marvel creation uh yeah my my first love was um was dc I like that. Mine too, actually, on this. Um, ah. my, my, I can remember where I was when I bought my, bought my first ever comic book um, in a newsagent in Scotland where I was there with my grandparents. And it was uh, Green Lantern in about 1984, I think it was. And it's funny that you said about Superman and Batman because the, the arc that I started reading at the very start was... Um, how Jordan quits being Green Lantern and basically gives it all up. And then another Green Lantern comes on the scene and he's just kind of like, oh, what have I done? And really regrets it. And I think DC were great, weren't they? At doing that kind of, those kind of um, dark kind of storylines and taking the character to kind of places that you wouldn't expect a superhero necessarily to go. I, I, that was what I yeah. always loved about it. No, I agree. And like the Joker, like the, some of the, you know, Joker villain ones are like are really dark and, and, and fascinating too, aren't they? So I, I do think, yeah, they go places and, and Doomsday, the villain who who breaks Superman, yeah, I I I I am with you. Yeah, I I I, I miss those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just a shame, as you said, about the more recent output. But never mind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, another one. This is a question for the ages, isn't it? Really, Bugs Bunny or Mickey Mouse? Uh, 
Oh, I mean, Bugs Bunny, it has to be, because Mickey Mouse didn't really feature much for me. I, I, you know, he was very cute and was like a kind of, but more of a, a brand thing that appeared in Disney films. Whereas Bugs Bunny, like, uh, he is part of my childhood. I remember him saying, what's up, Doc? And, you know, and, and all his gang. So it has to be Bugs Bunny. And I loved, um, I loved, I know it's not the same, but like, who framed Roger Rabbit? Like, I, you know, that, that somehow pops into my head too. So I'm, I'm kind of, um, it's, that's a second vote for Bugs Bunny. Going for the bunnies, <laughs> no mice, only bunnies. Okay. And uh, to wrap us up, what three books would you take with you to a desert island? I'm guessing these can be any books. They don't have to be children's books. Oh, oh God. Um, I Children's books, I would take some like compendium of like Roald Dahl's stories that hopefully combine several of his books into one volume and to wangle my way in. And I love his short stories too. So that would be my children's book. Uh, Roald Dahl and then uh, I don't know why just because it's an answer I've had before I really love um, uh, Anna Karenina by Tolstoy bit grand sounding but I did just when I read it I was like this is the best book I've ever read and I'll just stand by that because to pick another one it's just amazing as like the whole of like human experience wrapped up in it in my mind and then a third book um, uh, I would go for um, oh, maybe uh, another really long one, A Suitable Boy by Vikram Seth. It's really long and I loved every minute of it. I like these long books, so I will go for that. Uh, so uh, there you are. Fantastic. Those are three really strong choices. I like it. Um, yeah, that would definitely while away the time on any exactly. desert island. I wouldn't, I I wouldn't run out and I could, yeah, I could reread them. Exactly. It would, it would keep me going. Very good, fantastic, um, and I think that's a stun, Michael. That's um, that's brilliant. Um, really, really lovely to talk to you this evening. And like I said, absolutely love the book. Thank you so much for sending me a copy. Really, oh, um, and likewise, I didn't get to say it as much. So I, I, I love, I love Skywake, and it was uh, so exciting. And uh, and I loved, I, I love, I, I think the arc is brilliant as well with them just, you know, going off into space now. I can't, yeah. I can't wait. And it's just, it was such a good. That's, that's such a good ending that was both kind of makes sense and and like unexpected and then like ups the stakes massively so brilliant okay oh, well, I, I had this very starship trooper i love starship troopers and it's like a uh from when i it just was one of those films when i was like 15 that i was like oh and so i had a very starship troopers kind of moment when they landed and they were like so yeah yeah, no, I loved that. I really love that movie, actually. And it was a big something that I was really thinking about in the back of my head, along with, um, do you know, Live, Die, Repeat? The, um, no, I don't, no. Uh, it's had another, they retitled it as well, actually. It's a Tom Cruise movie with him and... Oh, um, yeah. um, Emily Blunt. Emily Blunt, yes. Oh, yeah, they, oh, yes. It? Edge of Tomorrow, I think they maybe retitled it as yeah, something like Edge that. Tomorrow. Yeah, and that, yeah. That was another one that I was like, oh, yeah, that's kind of percolating in the back of my brain as I'm writing this. So um, That was brilliant, yeah. that film. Yeah, I, I felt like, yeah, I, I, I love that film, actually. Yeah, that was very Starship Troopers too, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I can't wait for Ghost Cloud 2. I just think you've got such a fantastic world and just such marvellous characters. It's going to be it's going to be great. When is it? Is it October? Is it a year later? It's, yeah, it's October next year, basically, the hardback. And uh, I will be trying to... Uh, finish it in the next couple of months <laughs> oh, wow yeah i know that yeah. feeling when skyway 2 how are you how are you finding it um skyway 2 is pretty much done i think it's just line edits to go which is which is really good um and i think that's coming out now in april they seem to keep bringing it 
forward so it was july then it was may now it seems to be april so um which i'm like that's great because it just seems really weird having all the books mapped out for so long into the future that i might yeah, just bring them soon <laughs> it makes like you know it's very weird to think that i'll still be kind of you know doing publicity for skywake in 2023 i'm just like really how's that possible? Really? Yeah, you know because yeah, the third yeah. one the third one will be written this year as well so it's just like it's just just a bit weird but, yeah 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 I, I just committed to well i'm not committed they were like do you want a trilogy or a duology or whatever you know and i was like i think i can only i just want i don't want to commit to three three because it's such a long time it, and so i'm only doing there's only two and that's it um but then i might then i don't know i think now i I might then do a, like a separate, you know, not like a prequel or something in the same world, but separate. We'll see how we see how it goes. Oh yeah, that would be really exciting actually, because there's so much to explore in the world that you've got. I'm sure you could find find yes. ways to kind of do a sideways move rather than it needing. The alternative to is I have to actually make up a whole new world, which is like slightly terrifying at the moment. So, <laughs> so <laughs> that's hard when you're immersed in one world. It's hard to kind of then start thinking about another one. Yeah. yeah. I hope you really enjoyed that interview. Next week, Michael Mann is going to be interviewing Candy Gourlay, who's a fantastic champion for new writers, for young adults, for children's, for picture books, for everything to do with the UK young writing scene. And uh, I'm really proud that she's going to be part of our first series of The Book Chain. So tune in then. Until then, I'll see you. Bye.